Hi, I'm David Freudberg, the host of Humankind. I actually grew up in public radio. I've been in the field since I was 16. And from the start, I was taught to offer people content that will inform and enlighten. This podcast is dedicated to spreading ideas that speak to the highest part of our listeners rather than lowest common denominator. If you like what you hear, we're asking for your help. Please leave us a kind review on iTunes so others can find us. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. One member of Congress said at one point, you know, uh, if you're a business leader and you're not investing your company's money in political campaigns, the shareholders ought to sue you because it's the path to the greatest return on investment you can possibly uh, go down. The influence of big money on our democratic system and what an extraordinary great-grandmother did about it. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. In pursuing a noble purpose, tenacity is enormously admirable and almost always mandatory. And stick-to-itiveness is one trait that Granny D, Mrs. Doris Haddock, age 93, of Dublin, New Hampshire, has mastered. She is simply undaunted by the moneyed special interests whose influence she seeks to purge from our democratic system, or by the coast-to-coast route of 3,200 miles she decided to travel on foot to make her point. Her occasional traveling companion is Dennis Burke. She was doing something that was Gandhian in its difficulty. I mean, it, it, you can't, I mean, I could never walk with her for more than three days. It, it, is, it is very difficult to walk 10 miles a day, day in and day out, in all kinds of weather, through summer, through blizzards. I mean, what she did was an athletic feat that is quite remarkable. And she did it because she has been athletic all her life, and she's been a cross-country skier, and, uh, and she still cross-country skis. And when we ran out of road in, um, um, at the top of the uh, Appalachians coming, uh, coming out of um, uh, Maryland, in the last 140 miles or so uh, into Washington, D.C., uh, it was the worst snowstorm in years, and the roads were just impassable for the walker. So she sent for old cross-country skis, and she went down the, uh, the towpath of the CNO Canal, which is a great, you know, nice, beautiful, snow-covered thing. And she, she cross-country skied for over 100 miles to make her dates in, in Washington. So that's, I mean, that's, um, uh, it, it may be courage, it may be stubbornness, but it's really athleticism, too. I mean, she's really something. Please join me in welcoming to the forum Doris Granny D. Haddock. The John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University, October 2003. While we work, and we must continue to work, to weaken the unfair influence of the rich and the powerful in our elections, we must also look for ways to strengthen the ability of ordinary people to have a meaningful voice. I think we are seeing that in the Internet both in terms of communicating information and fundraising. 
and it looks a lot more like democracy than does the $2,000 a plate chicken dinner and the $200,000 corporate donation. If we all give a little to the champions of our values, then a people-powered democracy, the only real kind of democracy, can have a fighting chance against the chicken eaters. The U.S. Supreme Court took up the politically charged issue of campaign finance at a special session in September 2003. To use the words of one individual, the White House is like a subway. You have to put money in the turnstiles. Too much money. Too much money. That's the problem. Too no. much money is being spent on elections. If I were a lawyer, and if I were allowed to speak before that court, I would have told them about so many people I met on my long walk who came to actual tears when they described their frustration at the loss of their America. When Senator Simpson testified, he testified that too often members' first thought is not what is right or what they will believe, but how it will affect fundraising. Who, after all, can seriously contend that a $100,000 donation does not seriously alter the way one thinks about and quite possibly votes on an issue. Was and his testimony that others thought that or that he thought it? Mr. Chief Justice, in the first volume, he was speaking in general and about all of us. And so, too, was Senator Rudman when he testified under oath that large soft money contributions distort the legislative process because they affect whom senators and House members see, whom they spend their time with, what input they get. Talk is cheap. I mean, access is not votes. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, the members of Congress are going to, going to give time to people who've uh, given money to their campaign. Doesn't yeah. mean they're going to vote that way. It certainly doesn't mean they're going to vote that way. But So is that corruption? The testimony is, is the giving of more time to them, is that corruption? The giving, or the appearance of corruption? Justice Scalia, there is a mountain of evidence from experts, members, lobbyists, 60 pages of findings from Judge Collar Catelli and almost as many from Judge Leon that access buys influence and there are any number of ways that cannot be statistically observed to change outcomes besides a particular vote. Oh, I, I think now, that's the bottom line. That's the moment of truth. Do you get any votes for the money that you contribute to the candidate? It if, is not. if you don't get that, you, you're getting nothing. Listening to the justices ask their questions during the presentation, I pictured them with powdered wigs, monocles, and snuff boxes. They might have as well been in the 18th century and from another continent. I do not think that a 93-year-old former shoe factory worker should know more about the situation than they do but that was the sinking feeling that came over me as I listened to them. I wished that I could drag them by their frilly collars to the living rooms where real Americans shared with me that disgust for the whorehouse that Washington has sadly become.
do you think a, a symbolic gesture like Granny D's can actually have an effect on the way money influences our political system? It did have an effect. Author and broadcaster Jim Hightower. It riveted public's attention not only on the problem. Most people know that our uh, Congress and the White House uh, and our state legislators also have largely been bought. Uh, they don't belong to us anymore. They belong to the moneyed interests, and and they're the ones, the moneyed, the moneyed interests are the ones who get the uh, governmental benefits. Uh, so they know generally of the problem. But what she did was to give them a sense that, well, maybe we could do something about it. Uh, and she was a uh, the leading organizing spark behind the McCain-Feingold legislation uh, in Washington that did pass. The McCain-Feingold law, known as the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of 2002, was considered a landmark. It prohibited the widespread practice of donating to a political party rather than the actual candidate as a way of getting around the legal spending limits on giving to candidates directly. Limiting this soft money seemed like a step forward to Granny D, whose patient walk across the country had demonstrated the power of taking one step at a time. On arriving in Washington in February 2000, just weeks after her 90th birthday, Granny D joined in the effort to get McCain-Feingold passed. She did some extraordinary things even after her walk in terms of uh, walking vigils, 24-hour vigils around the Capitol buildings and stuff like that. And and because she did that, and because it was freezing out there, and because she wasn't getting enough rest, there were members of the Senate staff who would make appointments so she, with their senators, you know, so she could get out of the freezing rain. Her caring made them care. Uh, she met with um, over half of, of the, the, the Senate um, and, and met with uh, probably over 100 members of the House during, during those days. Is that because who can refuse Granny D? Partly, and partly it's stubbornness. I mean, she was there uh, on Valentine's Day handing out, you know, handmade Valentines to all the members of the House to say, don't, don't break our hearts. Um, so, and she would run into them on the, in the halls, and, and, she would if, and she would walk into their offices. And so it wasn't just because um, they had heard of her. A lot of them hadn't. It was because she was there. It took two more years before the McCain-Feingold bill was finally signed into law. Opponents later appealed the measure in federal court, arguing that in limiting political donations, it in effect limited free speech. But against great odds, a reform movement, of which Granny D had become a prominent and eloquent voice, had an effect. A key strategist of the victory was Scott Harshbarger, former attorney general of Massachusetts, then national president of Common Cause. Inside the Beltway, the political powers were shocked that we won. As incremental as it is, as you sit here and wonder, what was all the fuss about? This is just you know, a minor adjustment. The money's still pouring in. It doesn't look like it had an effect. We managed to pass it over the objection of every special interest in the city. And that partly it was because the people's voice got heard. And it, to me, that was a sign of great potential. Imagine if we could get the people organized enough on a number of issues so that they could penetrate the wall 
of the Beltway and actually have, the, have the, their elected representatives hear from them, we could really begin to strengthen democracy. Now, this is blackberry jam. Did you say this is? No, it's raspberry. Ras it says blackberry, but, but it's raspberry, see? It was made in, in Upper Dundee. I was there this weekend. Oops. If you come around midday to visit Granny D at her home in the woods of New Hampshire, she just might offer to make you lunch. The house, which she and her late husband built in the early 1970s based on a Frank Lloyd Wright design, is a striking structure with a long, sloping roof covered by moss. Inside, the living room is decorated with large, colorful, handmade rugs that she hooks as a hobby when time permits. But often these days, she's busy trying to support efforts around the country to reduce special interest money for candidates in state government. When I finished my walk, an outfit called the Alliance for Democracy came to me and they said, they said, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm going to go home and make cookies. And, um, and uh, they said, oh, no, you're not. You're going to go out and try to get some of these things passed. And so I said, I don't charge any money for it, but I do expect them to pay. Pay your travel. My travels, yeah. You're probably happy to be home. Well, I'm working mostly on my computer answering letters. That's what I do. I, first I worked across Missouri. And they said that um, it would be very nice if you would come. And so I walked 300 miles across their state. It didn't pass. Can we, can we help you here at this yes. point? At a shopping center in Phoenix, Arizona, under the blazing midday sun, we talked with citizens about their perception of special interest money in government. I think there's an undue influence in big money. I think it, it uh, contributes a lot of the opinions to the candidates and to the elected officials. And what does that do to our democracy, do you think? It ultimately takes away from the constituents that they're supposed to be serving. So do you feel it's kind of a corrupting influence? I think it can be. I think it is. I don't know that it's all corrupted, but I think it has uh, uh, the potential to be there, and there's probably some undue corruption involved in it. Are you concerned with the presence of big money in politics? Do you think yeah. it affects I them? always sign the clean election thing because I think it's more logical than, you know, politicians going out there and charging $1,000 for a plate of food. I think that's insane. I think that's just You mean totally no plate of food can be worth that no much? No plate right? of food. I don't care what it is. It ain't worth that much money. So, um, yeah. And are you referring to the checkoff on the tax return? Mm -hmm. Yeah, on the tax return, and then I've seen the the billboards and stuff and I think it's a great idea. Well here here in Arizona they have a system where if you get 200 people to give five dollars each mm -hmm. you then qualify for some public funding mm -hmm. so you don't have to go out and beg from the special interest. Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, yes I do.
The Arizona Clean Election System, approved by voters in 1998, remains popular with Arizonans according to several statewide polls. By choosing to participate, a candidate agrees to accept no private money after signing up the initial 200 donors at the $5 level. If your opponent decides not to run under the cap, the Clean Elections candidate is entitled to public matching funds. Nick Nyhart of Public Campaign in Washington says the public funding for candidates goes a long way toward reducing the influence of private special interest money in politics. The simplest and cheapest uh, way to solve the problem uh, is to give candidates some other source of money. Uh, they're not going to be able to run without money, so the question is, what can you do to make sure the money gathering process isn't corrupting? And under the clean money systems that have been uh, voted into law uh, in six states now, uh, a candidate who agrees to certain things, in other words, they take no private money and they agree to a spending limit, those candidates get enough money to run a competitive campaign. Uh, if their opponent is playing under the same system, they have a level playing field. Uh, the two candidates are even on money, so it really depends on how skilled they are at communicating with voters, how many volunteers they can get active, uh, how much they inspire people, and whether their message is right. Uh, so you, you take the money imbalance out of the equation, and you allow good people to run for office without regard to their personal wealth or their ability to court uh, wealthy donors. In Arizona, the new system seems to be achieving its main goals. Many office seekers have decided to run as clean elections candidates, including Janet Napolitano, who was elected governor in 2002. Barbara Luban of the Clean Elections Institute, based in Phoenix. Because people are asked to give $5, they're involved. We've seen voter turnout increase 27% um, in the state. And it's because more people are on the ballot, um, so that you have a choice when you go there. And in addition, a lot more people have um, been involved in campaigns and perhaps given contributions for the first time ever by giving that uh, $5 to a participating candidate. The system has been upheld in court, although now opponents of clean elections have proposed an Arizona constitutional amendment to ban public money from being used to fund campaigns. Former longtime Arizona State Senator Mark Spitzer, a Republican, was initially wary of the clean election system, but opted in during his successful campaign to be commissioner of a powerful statewide agency that regulates Arizona utilities. When you have run a campaign, and raise private money, and I have. You know who raised money for your campaign, and you know who you are going to ask for money in your next campaign. And at the same time, you're sitting there trying to vote on the merits. Now, I did. I think I had a record of voting on the merits as a state senator for four terms. But it is not a good process. Even the best people, in my view, are troubled by this process. To me, this mosaic that is and should be American democracy are these competing interest groups of people who believe in a cause, or even those who, like the business and labor. Corporate America has a right to be involved. Organized labor has a right to be involved. And then the pro-gun and the anti-gun and the pro-life and the pro-choice and the pro-education and the pro-voucher and all these other groups that, that should be involved 
I think they get discouraged because when you go, when you have a campaign fi- event, particularly at the federal level, you have thousand uh, dollar a plate dinners at the Paradise Valley Country Club, and the people that show up with the checks are the lobbyists, not the little people, not the people who who have a who have a cause, whether it's liberal or conservative or Republican or Democrat or whatever. And I fear the macro problem with campaign finance is the K Street lobbyists at the federal level have crowded out the people who have a cause. And that is destructive of American democracy. You can run for statewide office under the old system and not talk to a single voter. You do raise a bunch of money from the lobbyists and PACs and you run TV commercials. And you don't have to talk to a human being. And w- did that happen? That's happened all over the country. There can- I, I, had a good, I had a very good friend from law school, big-time Democrat. And so he was working for the candidate, and he said, you know, Mark, this stinks. This guy is spending all his time raising money from the Hollywood people. There were no, there were no kids. There were no balloons. There were no parades. There were no whistle stops. There were no speeches. He was raising money and doing TV. Money and TV. Money and TV, so, money and TV. So totally disconnected from the Totally people. disconnected from real voters. Granny D. In the old days, you, you went to the park and you listened to the, to the man that was running for office and you were right next to him and you, you shook hands with him and you knew who he was, whether he was an honest man or he wasn't. We knew, and, but because we knew him personally. And nowadays... Uh, it, it's all um, through the tube, you know. Um, Artificial, do you think? Well, it's very easy to make a rousing speech, and you need to know what the man's back, background is in his ta- track record. As I walked across the country and asked people why they didn't vote, they said, well, there's no one there that cares about me. There's no one that understands of what the situation is that I'm living in, and until you can find me a, a candidate that that speaks to me, I ain't voting. And um, did you hear that a lot? Yes, of course. Only fifty percent of our people in this country are voting. I had to find out why that was true. And everybody that I met, I said, "Are you voting?" Nah. Why aren't you voting? And this is the answer I got. Balloting was orderly and unusually heavy today as Negroes voted in a South Carolina Democratic primary for the first time since Reconstruction days. And Negro leaders have predicted that about 80% of the eligible Negroes went to the polls today. Although unaccustomed to the use of voting... This newscast from 1948 transports us to a time in America's recent past when not all citizens could take the right to vote for granted. At that time, African Americans were still barred from voting in certain states. But today, only half of eligible voters participate in presidential elections. Adding to the feeling of why bother was the tumultuous outcome of the 2000 presidential election. Although a clear nationwide majority voted for Vice President Al Gore, his opponent was declared victor by the U.S. Supreme Court following an arduous dispute over the razor-thin margin of votes counted in Florida. Our country has been through a long and trying period with the outcome of the presidential election not finalized for longer than any of us could ever imagine. 
President-elect George W. Bush, December 2000. This evening I received a gracious call from the Vice President. We agreed to meet early next week in Washington, and we agreed to do our best to heal our country after this hard-fought contest. Tonight I want to thank all the thousands of volunteers and campaign workers. In response to rampant public cynicism and disaffection, here comes Granny D, who in the fall of 2003, approaching her 94th birthday, again decided to set out on a journey through America, this time mercifully by automobile driven by compatriots. Let me give you some encouraging facts. We the people have only been playing with half our team. We are now bringing in the full rested half that have not been voting. Not voting because they thought there was no point. Now there is a point. This time, no one will be saying that a few votes don't matter. Nobody will be saying that there is no difference between candidates. Not this time, my friends. Now let us think about the fresh voters we are bringing in, men and women, young and old. There are 64 million working women in this country, most of whom are eligible to vote, and only half of whom are in fact registered. I hope we can make it easier for them to register and to vote. Along the way, I expect to have a few senior moments. This is not when I forgot why I came into a town, not that at all. It is when I talk to the senior class of high schools along my way, for they are our newest voters, and I am going to sign them up, all four million of them if I can. We the people are doubling our team because the old reasons for not voting do not apply. Thank you. I thought it was a great presentation. I had never heard of her before, and so it was really exciting. I think she's amazing. What, what about her amazes you? Just her persistence and her determination to make a difference. Um, she walked across the country, and just so much determination there. You know, one vote really does make a difference, and making that personal contact is, is a big step in the right direction. What about just the remarkable example of this little old lady sort of taking on the world. Oh, it's fantastic. Well, we all need someone like that to look up to, and it's sure nice to have her around to do it. So do you come out here by the, the brook often to get a little piece? Well, I, I go out on, on the porch there, and it's nice because it's high, and so you don't get any uh, bugs. Uh, this is um should we go up to the porch yes yes that would be nice and i did all this stone work myself a lovely stone path yes it's a little waterfall there and, and there's a, a a beaver dam and um so there's a little pond in back of it and uh, the ducks come in there once in a while and and uh, with your glasses you can see them President Jimmy Carter, in describing her enchanting book entitled Granny D, calls Doris Haddock a true American patriot. What's remarkable is that she has no public policy credential, holds no elective office, 
is not included among the roster of mass media pundits who comment incessantly on government. Granny D is simply a citizen, one who has used her passionate voice to stand up to something she felt to be terribly wrong. She has voted not just in the polling place in her hometown of Dublin, New Hampshire. Doris Haddock has voted with her feet. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Special thanks to Elizabeth Ross. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with the Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, part two of our profile of Granny D, is Humankind program number 74. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.